You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. You ready to get started on a new year? All right, good. So I've been doing this uh, preaching, teaching thing for about 30 years now. And I honestly can tell you, I still don't know if I do it right. I've taken the classes. I've read the books. I've went to the workshops. I've studied the great preachers. Tried to make the tweaks here and there. But at the end of the day, I come back to just a couple of things. And one of the things I come back to is, Paul, just, just talk to people. Just tell them the truth. Don't yank them around. Don't make it out to be more than it really is. Just, just tell them the truth. Just describe your experience the best you can about your journey of following Christ and invite them to consider it. And just keep sending them back to Jesus. Keep sending them back to the scriptures. And then kind of let the chips fall. As they decide and as they figure out how they're going to experience faith. And again, at the end of the day, what I'd most like to do, I mean, this is really my heart, is it just, I would love to talk to people like we're going to lunch together. In fact, that would be my preference, is that we just all go to lunch together. <laughs> just one-on-one, like you and me having lunch, talking about spiritual journey and some things that we're both figuring out. But, you know, if, if we did it that way, it, it wouldn't be very efficient. It would take forever to get through a single topic, and I'd be about 6,000 pounds. And so... But this is one of those series that I would love to just go to lunch together and talk about it with you. Um, but we, we can't do it that way. So I'm just going to talk with you like we're having lunch and be really honest about, um, about what I'm discovering. So uh, we're going to explore a new topic here for the next four weeks. And today... Today we're going to start at like 30,000 feet. Today I'm going to introduce the, an idea to you. I'm going to invite you to consider doing something for 12 months, 2022. So we're going to just start at the big picture. And then over the next three weeks, we're going to narrow it in on some very specific ways in which this topic might apply to our lives. Does that make sense? So nine years ago... I celebrated my 50th birthday. You know, it was no really, no big deal. Uh, kind of a milestone. Um, it felt a little different than like 40 did and 30 did. 50 felt a little bit more like, well, now you have to start acting your age. And that didn't sound like very fun. I was like, okay. But it, at the end of the day, it was just a number. It was age is an attitude, that sort of thing. And so it wasn't a, a big deal. But a couple of days after I had my 50th birthday, I was laying in bed one morning uh, doing what I do, is just thinking. Just laying, I hadn't even opened my eyes yet, and I was thinking about my day, and I was thinking about probably an upcoming message, and I was thinking about a counseling appointment and things going on in the world. That's my brain. It's just it's always thinking. And I was laying there thinking, and suddenly a thought penetrated all the other thoughts came to the front of my mind and literally jolted me awake. Like my eyes came open, I sat up on my elbows in the bed and I thought, oh my word. I remember it like it was yesterday and, and here was the thought. I now have less life ahead of me 
than I have behind me. Statistically speaking, the likelihood of me living another 50 years is small. Maybe 35, maybe 40, but I was not going to live to be 100. And this had an impact on me. This thought, like literally, had an enormous impact on my life. That one thought. And the first reaction to it was a sense of urgency. Now, it wasn't a sense of panic. It wasn't like, this is the onset of my midlife crisis. It wasn't that. But it had a certain urgency to it. And I was laying there thinking, wait a second. I'm not where I thought I would be at 50. And there's still things that I've always wanted to do. And I've, I've not even started on them. There's things that I want to be by way of a person. Like character traits and virtues. And I'm not even in the ballpark yet. And I, I just had this feeling, this thought like, Paul, you're running out of time. You can spend your life wishing or you can spend your life getting it done. Well, if you're going to get it done, then you need to get started. The second response that I had to this dawning is that um, it was one of reflection. Now, I'm a contemplative a contemplative person by nature. I'm a thinker. I maul stuff over. I kick stuff around. I percolate it on and I stir it around and, and I think about, and sometimes to a fault, but I think about things. And this, this idea of I now have less life ahead of me than I have behind me, it sent me into a two-year period of reflection. And I eventually identified the topic. The topic was this. I spent two years thinking about life and living. I read books. I interviewed people. I asked questions. I made observations. I jotted down notes. And I was fascinated. Like this thing we call life. The 70, 80, 90 years that we live on this earth. Like what is it? What's its purpose? What's its meaning? What's it about? And so often it seems like life is like this script that people hand to you. Your parents hand you a script and your teachers hand you a script and then your boss hands you a script and society hands you a script and your friends hand you a script. And for so many people, it seems like life is just this script that gets handed to us and it goes something like this. You're born, you go to school, you get a job, you retire, you play golf and go on cruises, and then you die. <laughs> and I looked at that script and I thought, that's not the script I want to read from. That's not the life I want to live. But that was what I was observing in so many people's lives. There was no really intentional approach to living their life and writing a story. It was just doing what was handed to us, what was expected of us. And then I got fascinated in this idea of living, like the things that we do in life, like how we go about our day, our choices, our thoughts, our values, our priorities, our habits, our disciplines, our lack of disciplines, our insecurities, our dysfunctions, our successes, our failures. I just got fascinated in how we go about living this thing called life. Now, because of the nature of how I'm wired, I spent two years thinking about this, and I, this is what I do with most anything, is 
I am always interested in what I call a teachable point of view. So basically, I like to learn lessons, and then the teacher in me starts thinking, how would I pass these lessons on? How would I share this sort of thing? So this life and living, I was trying to kind of take notes, a teachable point of view, and here was what I was most interested in. What were the common denominators? Like, what was true of every person's journey in life and living? Because we all have different lives, and we all do life differently, but what were some of the common denominators that were true of anybody and everybody. That's what I was really, really interested in. And I ended up making um, a handful of observations. And here's the deal. Some of them changed my life. Literally changed my life at age 50. And um, some of the things that I learned, I discovered are true for every single person. There's no exceptions. You're not going to be an exception. These things that I learned are true of every single person on the planet. Regardless of age. Regardless of gender. Marital status. Educational accomplishment. Uh, socioeconomic uh, standing. Uh, it, you... These are things that are true of every single person on planet Earth. Would you like to know what some of them are? Okay, here's the first one. Again, this was life-changing for me. That life is down to two fundamental components. Every single person's life is a matter of time and energy. That every single thing that we do in life, from the monumental to the mundane. I don't care if we're talking about your careers or your hobbies or your accomplishments or if you're talking about reading a book, washing the dishes or using the restroom, okay? Everything is a factor of time. We distribute some amount of time toward every single thing that we do. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. Everything about our life is some distribution of time and everything that we do in life is some distribution of energy. Creative energy, relational energy, um, mental energy, physical energy. We distribute energy to every single thing that we do. Does that make sense? Here's why that was important to me. Is that how you spend your time and how you distribute your energy writes the story of your life. The truth of the matter is that every one of us we're going to die someday, and there will probably be a funeral service, and people are going to get up, and they're going to say something about your life. And what they're going to tell by the way of stories of your life are going to be a reflection of where the time and the energy of your life was distributed. If you spend a lot of time and energy playing golf, the stories at your funeral are going to be something to do with golf and its place in your life. If you never spend a second... Or any energy in like bowling. Nobody's going to tell the story about what an amazing bowling, bowler you were. Because you didn't put any time and energy toward it. And so I started to think. Wait a second. If I don't want to read from the typical script. And I want to create a different story. Then what I needed to do was start putting time and energy. Toward the things that I thought is how I wanted to spend my life. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the second thing that I learned. Again, nobody, nobody is the exception. This is true of every single one of us. Life boils down to three primary ingredients. 
everything that we do with time and energy boils down to these three ingredients. And they are, you think, you choose, you act. There's no exception. Everything that you do, every single thing that you do in life is the result of a choice that you make. Or choices that you make. And every choice that you make is a reflection of something or some way that you think. So we all think, we all choose, we all eventually act. There's no exception. Everything you do from monumental to mundane is a reflection of choices, which is a reflection of thinking. Now, some people push back and say, no, no, Paul, there's things in my life that I do without thinking. No, no, there isn't. There isn't. The way that your brain is wired, it's an amazing machine. But what it is able to do is it builds pathways. It builds grooves. And eventually, if you keep making, keep entertaining the same thoughts, making the same choice, eventually you just build a pathway in your brain that you're always going to do something and it seems like you're not thinking, like brushing your teeth. You don't think that you're thinking about brushing your teeth. Why? But there was a day in your life you were like, trying to you know, get it all right, okay? But you've done it so many times now, you can brush your teeth while you're looking at your phone and surfing the internet, right? You know, because you, you, your brain is a mar- remarkable thing and it can multitask. But everything that we do is a thought that leads to a choice that leads to an action. Does that make sense? So here's the good news. You're listening? No, are you listening? If there's any part of the story, the script, in your life that's unhealthy, that's unproductive, or unfulfilling, you can change that. Did you follow that? If there's a part of your life that's not leading you to good places, it's unhealthy, or it's unproductive, It's not returning the results that you had hoped or it's unfulfilling. You can change that. You know why? All you have to do to act differently is you have to make different choices, which means you have to start thinking differently. And one of the discoveries in the two years of reflection in my life is that I had a brain full of a lot of toxic thoughts, toxic thoughts about myself, toxic thoughts about others and toxic thoughts about God. And some of the thinking that I identified over those two years, some of the insecurities that existed in my life were because of faulty thinking, lies that I lived according to my life. And some of those lies were like, it was really important to me what other people thought about what I did. And I was really afraid of failing. And I had this expectation of myself that if I didn't do it perfectly the first time, then I shouldn't even bother doing it. Well, that's a lot of lousy thinking that ended up crippling me. And at age 50, 52, I start discovering, hey, wait a second. There's things that I never did in my life I wouldn't make the choice to because I was working on all sorts of faulty thinking. Does that make sense? So when I started looking at those parts of my life that were unhealthy or that were unproductive or unfulfilling, I realized, well, Paul, that's nobody's fault but your own. You can rewrite the story. You can change your life by thinking differently, choosing differently, and acting differently. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example. And I hesitate to do this because it's about me and I don't want it to be about me. But this is a perfect example of like time and energy, thinking, choosing, acting. When I was about 17 or 18 years old, um, Sports Illustrated ran an article about this 
thing that had just happened about two years earlier. It was called the Ironman race. It was held in Hawaii. And I read this article and I thought to myself, that's impossible. How in the world does a human being swim 2.4 miles in the open ocean, bike 112 miles, get off the bike, and then run 26.2 miles in a marathon? Like, that's just impossible. Those are aliens come to earth showing us mere mortals of what it is. And so I concluded, I can't do that. That's not even in my, that's not even in the realm of imagination for me. But I was fascinated by it. So for 40 years, I follow the Ironman race. I watch it every chance I can get and learn what I can about it. But so in this age 50 to 52, me wanting to do some things that I'd never done before, I got this harebrained idea that I'd like to become an Ironman. There was just a couple of problems. <laughs> I was 40 pounds overweight. I was terribly out of shape. I couldn't run a mile without walking most of it. I couldn't swim a lap in the pool without stopping at the opposite wall. I knew how to ride a bike, but I didn't know how to ride it fast and far. And then I had all this toxic thinking. And so I gave myself eight years. I set a goal that before the age of 60, I would become an Ironman. And I had to start thinking differently. Over those next seven years, I had to make tens of thousands of different thoughts, not care what people thought, and not be afraid of failure, and not worry about being perfect at it the very first time. I had to make thousands and thousands of different choices, literally, I had to make thousands of choices because everything in me it was too hot, too cold, too rainy, too windy, too early, too late, too hard. I can't do this. I had to keep telling myself, this is not true. Don't live the lie. There were days that I would cry on my bike because I didn't think I could finish that ride. For seven years, I kept thinking differently. I kept choosing differently. I kept doing differently. I kept putting time and energy towards something that I wanted to accomplish. And last September, in Madison, Wisconsin, I became an Ironman. Now, thank you. Thank you. I don't do that for the applause. What I wanted to tell you that story is because I believe that time and energy, thinking, choosing, and acting are enormous parts of living the kind of life that we want to live. And that illustration, that experience in my life taught me something. Hey, Paul, guess what? Those same principles can work in any other arena of your life if you'll just put time and energy toward the things that are important to you. And if you'll start believing different things the way that you think, make better choices and do or act accordingly, you could change any arena of your life. Does that make sense? So here's what I learned. is If I had an unhealthy life or something that was unproductive in my life or something that wasn't giving me the fulfillment that I longed for, I needed to just do this differently and I could change it into something that was healthy, productive, or fulfilling. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, isn't this just like the power of positive thinking? And I would say to you as kindly as I can, no. <laughs> what it is, is it's deeply spiritual stuff. It's what the Bible calls wisdom. 
Wisdom is about making observations of the way that life generally works, drawing some lessons from it, and then applying it to living life more wisely. So these observations that I made over these two years of deep reflection, I saw as deeply spiritual discoveries of what it is to live our lives more wisely. Let me show you why I don't think it's just the power of positive thinking. Look at this. In the book of um, Proverbs, which is a book all about what? Wise living. We read this. As a man or as a woman thinks. Down here in the depths of their being, the core of who they are. As a person thinks, the beliefs, the paradigms, the thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart... So is he. Evidently, the infinite wisdom of God understands that as we think, we choose, and what we choose, we do, and that ultimately becomes who we are. Look at this passage of Scripture. Paul writes to the, um, the church at Ephesus in the first century, and he's, he's talking to them about what it means to be a Christian, and, and he's confronting some of the things that were inconsistent in their behavior and their lifestyles with the profession to be followers of Christ. And so he says, I tell you this. In fact, I insist on this. You must no longer live as Gentiles. Now he's using this phrase as people who've not come into a relationship with Christ. Live longer as Gentiles do in the futility of their, you see, their whole life is based on a set of lies. Their thinking screwed up. He says, you must no longer live as Gentiles in the futility of thinking. They're darkened in how they understand life and truth, right and wrong. And they're separated from this life that God offers them because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. Now, I love this next line. It's amazing. He says, that is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying there's these people who live their life one way on a set of thoughts and choices and actions and values and priorities. And then they came and they had an encounter with Jesus and it changed or was to change the way that they lived from there. And so in other words, there's changes that happen when we think, choose and do differently. And some of that's centered around our relationship with Jesus. Look at this. Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi in the first century. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same, what? Mindset. It's a different mindset. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because by nature, we don't have that mindset. That's something that we have to learn. That's something that we have to choose. That's something that we have to practice. So that our behavior becomes a better reflection of what Jesus would do. If he were in our shoes. Look, look at this. Since you've been raised with Christ. Since you've started a relationship with Jesus. Set your heart. This kind of central grand central station of who you are. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your what? Your mind on things above. Not on the earthly things. So I could just make a case. These are just a few of the verses. Over and over again, I could make a case that our thinking, our choosing, and our behaving is so absolutely influential in our lives. You with me so far? We're doing okay? 
All right, so when it comes to how you experience life, like what you get out of it, I found that there's two very important factors. Would you like to know what they are? Again, nobody's an exception to this. This is true of every human being. There's these two ingredients that make an enormous difference in how we experience life. The first one is perspective. It's how you look at things. It's the grid work through which you approach life. It's your values and your beliefs and your priorities and it's your education and it's the influences who've had a say in your life. It's how you look at life perspective is an enormous influence on how we experience life. And our perspective shapes our attitude. Now, big discussion, both of these, we could spend a couple Sundays on each of these alone. Um, I'm just keeping this real simple. Attitude is how you feel about things. It's ultimately how you react to stuff based on your feelings. And we all have certain feelings about certain things, and that shapes how we react to it. It's our posture when we are in different situations, and regardless of what we may be talking about. And so here's the deal. Perspective and attitude. We can have a positive perspective, which lends itself to a more positive attitude. We can have a gracious one, loving, grateful, joyful, kind. This could be our perspective and our attitude. Or it's possible that we can adopt a negative perspective, which leads to a negative attitude. We can be judgmental more than gracious. We can be hateful more than loving. We can be resentful more than grateful. We can have an attitude and a perspective that's bitter more than joyful. And we can be inconsiderate rather than being kind. It comes back to thinking choosing and deciding what we're going to do. And so we know this whole thing about perspective and attitude, like you can have a good attitude or a bad attitude, and that's all shaped by how you look at life. So here's what I'd say. Perspective is vital and attitude is everything. You're saying, uh, Paul, I appreciate your zeal here, but are we going to get to any particular point here today? We are. I needed to set the stage for where I'm taking you. So here's the deal. Um, one of my favorite preachers who I've learned a lot from, his name is Chuck Swindoll. A number of years ago, he wrote this. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It's more important than the past. It's more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance and giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. Attitude. He continues, the remarkable thing is that we have a choice. We have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in certain ways. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play that one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitude. Perspective and attitude. 
have an enormous impact on how we experience life. So let me show you something. We can operate from a perspective and attitude, oh, life's so difficult. It's always so disappointing. I keep coming to these roadblocks and these obstacles and never, it, nothing ever goes right for me. And so this is our perspective. This becomes our attitude and this becomes the experience that we generally have about life. Or we can choose something different. I know life's fascinating. Life is really fascinating and it's very fulfilling. And that perspective will change an attitude which will change how you experience life. So now, let's talk about the thing that we're here to talk about. And that is this thing called the spiritual journey. Or, or, the, or the Christian life, whatever word you use, uh, following Jesus, um, a life of faith. Remember, time and energy thinking, choosing, doing, perspective and attitude, they run across all arenas of life. And so when we get to talking about this whole faith journey, this whole spiritual thing, whatever we're talking about, I'm gonna suggest to you that perspective and attitude play an enormous part in it. How we look at our spiritual journey determines what becomes of our faith. So, I've been a pastor now for 30 years. I've talked to a lot of people. I've had literally thousands of conversations with people about faith journey, about Christian life, about following Jesus. Thousands and thousands of conversations. And because of the way my mind works, I make observations and I draw lessons and I look for patterns. And here's what I've noticed in these thousands of conversations. Is that people have a certain perspective on what it means to follow Jesus. And that perspective change influences their attitude. And here's, here's like four of the most common perspectives that I've discovered in talking with people about spiritual journey. One very common one is, a lot of people describe their spiritual journey as an obligation. All these responsibilities, all these things that I have to do, I have to go to church, I have to read my Bible, I have to say my prayers, I have to put some money in the offering plate. I have to serve, you know, as a volunteer and help people who are homeless or hungry. And, and, I, and I, I have to, it ends up sounding a lot of like no's and don'ts and stops. And so I, I, I can't drink that. And I'm not supposed to say those words. And I can't smoke any of that. And, and though that feels really good and I like it, I'm not supposed to do it. So, and this is their perspective. Is what it means to follow Jesus is all this obligation and responsibility. And it's just burdensome. And so they have an attitude about that. A second common way that a lot of people encounter um, their faith is that it's just one big performance. It's one big quotient of points. So um, I get points if I read my Bible and if I go to church and if I you know, say my prayers and if I put some money in the offering plate, like that's a big point getter. And then uh, if I help people, depending on like how badly they need help, I get more points. But the fact of the matter is, if I miss a few days at church, I lose a few points. And if I don't put as much money in the offering plate, I, I lose points. And if I skip reading my Bible for a couple weeks, I lose a lot of points. And so it's just this whole point system and here's what the whole deal is, is that I, I got to get the points so that God will like me and so that I can get to go to heaven when I die. And I'll just tell you that because I lived that track for far too long in my life. A 
I'll tell you, that's just exhausting. And it's incredibly unfulfilling. But that's some people's perspective. Is all these things that I have to do to get points in order to go to heaven. Which brings me to the third one. The third one is this, what I call waiting for the bus. These are people who somewhere in their life, typically when they're young, they've heard the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or their grandmother say, you have to invite Jesus into your heart. They don't really know how that works. Like, how does he get in there? That seems like it would be a small space. But I'm supposed to invite Jesus into my heart. So I raised my hand. I said the prayer. I, you know, I filled out the card. I walked forward. I asked Jesus into my heart. And then they're done. Because when I ask Jesus into my heart, the promise is I get to go to heaven when I die. And so they're just sitting around for the rest of their life waiting for the bus to come to take them to heaven. And they don't do anything in response to their faith. They don't do anything for 20, 30, 40, 50 years because they just understand that the extent of it is that I'm supposed to say the prayer so I can go to heaven. But all that other stuff is just superfluous. That's a perspective which influences an attitude. And then the last one, just real quickly. The last perspective that I see it's just that some people see their Christian life, their spiritual journey, this following Jesus, completely from a selfish perspective. It's like, it's all about me and it's all for me. It's about me getting my sins forgiven. It's about me getting to go to heaven when I die. It's about God helping me out when I get in a pickle. And it's just all about me. And so when it's all about me, it really creates an attitude of a very critical, judgmental spirit. Like, if I go to church and church doesn't seem to you know, blow my bangs back or flip my switches, then they're doing it all wrong and I'm not going to play there anymore. And so you just create this really self-serving experience of what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe one of those four sounds similar to something that you've known and experienced. So what if we could change our perspective? Because we've discovered that we can change a perspective if we think, choose, and do differently, right? And it is possible to change a life if I put certain time and energy in a certain direction. And so what if, what if following Jesus was an adventure? You see, that just sounds different. That just plays differently. That I'm on a spiritual journey and this journey that I'm on is one big adventure. Like I don't really understand all that's on front in, up ahead on the trail. I don't really know what I'm going to encounter. But that's okay because I'm on an adventure. That's a completely different perspective. Now it's interesting. We talk so much about faith. And I'll just tell you this. This is the part of like don't yank people around. This is the truth. Faith by nature, it is mysterious. It can be a crazy maker if you get down into it, especially if you're real practical or pragmatic or you're an engineer or a mathematician and you want everything to add up. I'll just tell you, faith doesn't work like that. So it's maddening for people who only think in really stringent kinds of categories. Faith is mysterious and it's rooted in the realm of impossible. It's, it doesn't traffic in, oh, well, yeah, that's doable. No, it's about let's try impossible stuff. Here's some things that are interesting about faith. Faith by nature is unfamiliar. You're not going to know every step ahead of you. It's unfamiliar by nature. It's uncomfortable. 
there's dimensions of faith. You're just like, oh, I got butterflies and I don't want to do that. Because I can't, I don't know how it will unfold. You know, that's faith. Faith by nature is risky. There's times you're going to be invited by Jesus to step out and do something or live a certain way that nobody else does. And you might risk being rejected or made fun of or ostracized. But are you willing to go on an adventure? So we get this choice that we make that we can talk about following Jesus as an adventure. And we think, that's really exciting. That's kind of intriguing to think about it. Or you can say, no, 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 no. I'm not doing adventure stuff. That's scary and that's overwhelming because that's, I, I don't do risky stuff. I don't like when anything gets uncomfortable. And I'll just tell you, that's a perspective that you have. And it's influencing the attitude that you have about following Jesus. Okay, we, we got to hurry because I'm already over time. Uh, nope, 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 nope. Don't even look at that. <laughs> I'm not going to rush through this. It's too important. If we were at lunch, we could stay as long as we'd like. But there's lots of different reasons why we can't stay here as long as we'd like. I'm married to one of them and she happens to run the children's ministry. <laughs> so we're going to stop right there. We'll pick this up next Sunday. Because Jesus says something that is extraordinary about the life that he calls us to. But it requires that we think, choose, and do differently. You interested? Well, then you better be back here next Sunday, okay? <laughs> Invite a friend, because some of what I have to share next Sunday literally revolutionized my life, my faith, my walk with Christ. Let me ask you to stand together. And let me leave you with this. Just think about it for seven days. Just think about it, okay? I'm being so nice to you guys. Just think about it. Would you consider... Would you consider that maybe for the 12 months of 2022 that you're going to make a shift in your mind and at least open yourself up to the possibility that I, I'm going to think of following Jesus as an adventure instead of an obligation, instead of a performance, instead of me just waiting around for something to happen. Would you be open to think about going on an adventure with Jesus in 2022? You got seven days. Don't, you don't have to buy now. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, you have given us so much great information about how to think and choose and do our lives. And it comes from a father whose heart is all about love, that you only want the best for us. You got some amazing things in store for us if we'll follow you. So God, I pray you'll do a work. You'll do something in our hearts, our minds, our choices. In this year of 2022, that would make it an extraordinary adventure.
of following Jesus. That's my prayer for myself, for my friends in this room, my friends online. I pray and ask this in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.